Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I wore my adult clothes today. So I, uh, not to make you unsettled, but we have baby dedications today. And as usual, there are 60 little ones, 60 babies to be dedicated today. So praise the Lord. That's very exciting. Uh, there's one thing that we're very good at at Bridgeway, and that is baby dedications, right? All right. Uh, where were you going with that? I don't understand. What, that was awkward. All right. Anyway. Uh, quick, quick announcement uh, for you as we get rolling, and that is, uh, I want everyone here that you love that does not have somewhere to go here at Easter, all right? I want you to invite everybody that you care about that you know would be blessed by being able to hear the gospel and hang out with the Lord and, and be able to uh, engage in worship, and it's going to be a fresh, fun time. So I really want you to invite everybody to that event, also to the grand opening. Uh, but even more than that, I want to ask you a question, and that is, when's the last time you got a chance to bring somebody that you love just to church? It doesn't have to be for a special event. It can just be coming to church. And I'll tell you this, if you were invited, so let's say you are family, uh, and you were invited here, your friends or whatever, coworkers, I need you to know that that means that they really care about you because if they've invited you here, they invited you into their safe place. They invited you into a place where they sing, right? That's weird. They probably didn't sing when you were here today. They were probably just mouthing the words, right? Probably weren't singing at all. But anyway, it's that this is a place where they pray and that they, they know that um, we're going to be talking about the most important person to them, right? We're talking about the Lord. And they're constantly paranoid, right? Pastor Lance, please don't say anything stupid. Please don't say anything stupid. You know, those kind of things. Don't offend them. Don't offend them. Okay, so I just need you to know that the whole idea that they would invite you into this special place means that you're valuable to them. And I would just want to encourage everyone else, who do you need to invite? That, you know, regardless of who's up here preaching, we're going to be kind of sharing the Lord. And you know that we're not going to be preaching condemnation. We're going to be preaching victory in Jesus Christ. But obviously, it's also a place to grow and to learn and, and, ha- and have conviction and things like that. But who is it in your life that maybe the Lord has laid on your heart that maybe you need to bring here? Maybe it's been a while since you've invited anybody. So why don't we do that? Why don't we be thinking all this next week, who should I bring to church, right? Amen. Amen. All right. Good, good. Well, that's uh, that's the announcement. Why don't we dive into God's word? Take out your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Uh, also, the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door would be very helpful. I have a bit of a long intro to get to that fill in the blank, but we'll get there. It is part nine of our purposeful Christianity series through the book of Colossians line by line. And I entitled this morning's message, refusing to be hijacked. Now, last week, we had kind of revival week. You know, we were talking about the gospel and all the great things God's done for us. And Jesus Christ took that code that stood against us and nailed it to the cross. And we died with him and we raised again. And we were talking about forgiveness and grace. And it was kind of one of those get rid of condemnation and just get fired up for the Lord. It's kind of one of those messages. Well, in that message... I happen to share that the vision we have at Bridgeway is to present and design and encourage and strengthen everyone at Bridgeway to become mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ is the goal. But I also explain that maturity does not mean perfection. It does not mean sinlessness. 
I want to dig down into a little bit more about what maturity means. What I did say was that maturity means that we are healthy enough and strong enough to care about other people. That's a big deal to me. That is what I would define as maturity in the Lord, is that you know him well enough to be able to share him. Your life has been transformed by him to a sufficient degree that you can reach out and lift someone else up. But I want to talk a little bit more about what maturity means. When we say maturity, the number one thing that's going to come into our minds here in the leadership is knowing God, knowing God. As a matter of fact, we have five core values here at Bridgeway. You probably know them. We've shared them a a bunch of different times, but only the first two are really in any sort of order. And the number one is knowing God. Uh, the second is loving generously. Why would we put him in that order, right? I mean, that's obviously the teachings of Jesus, yeah? He said, they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So, obviously, we have those two locked in order. The other ones can kind of get mixed up because they're all important to us, but they're in no particular order, but they're things like developing disciples. And it's building family. It's partnering missionally, these types of things. So we have a lot of things that we care about, but we always begin at the same place, and that is knowing God. So the big question always is, do you know God? If I said, do you know Michael Jordan? You would know about Michael Jordan. You wouldn't know him personally. We're talking about a personal knowing. Do you know God? Do you know what he likes and what he doesn't like? Do you know how to engage with him? Do you know how to walk with him? These types of things. So when we say knowing God, we mean personally, right? And we've been talking a lot at Bridgeway about identity design. So all last year, the year of identity. This year, the year of purpose. How do we organize our lives in such a way that we are living as God intended and for his purposes? Well, I kind of want to go through a couple basic steps for you to allow you to understand what we mean by forming a biblical worldview or forming a healthy theology, or forming an identity. Here's what I mean. It all starts with knowing God. We need to know his opinion of us. It is the only opinion that truly matters. Why are you here? Why did he make you? What is he like? These are the core questions. So we begin with that. The second step is then we walk with him through this life and see how it's working out. In other words... We know a lot about him, and now it's time to walk and see how he interacts and know things by experience. Let's say, for example, you were reading through the Bible, and it said, um, well, Jesus let all the little ones jump up on his lap, and he blessed them, and we were like, ah, look, that's so cute, Jesus is nice. And so you lock that one in. Jesus is nice. And then you're kind of examining your life in, in kind of a little Roseville, Rockland, Lincoln, you know, bubble. And we're like, you know what? You know, growing up, man, I went to a good school and my family was a little bit affluent and, and we always kind of had what we needed. And man, Jesus is nice. And then at 16, you decide to go on your first mission trip to Bangladesh. Or you go to Kathmandu, or you go to a third world country where there's extreme poverty and you see children dying on the streets in front of you. Well, now what happens to your theology? Do you understand? And what I mean is that that third step 
is you look out at the world and universe around you and you figure out if you're looking at things right. Because I'll tell you, there's a tension there, isn't it? Oh, God, God's nice. See, God took care of me, did everything for me. God gave me good parents. And then all of a sudden you run smack into a place where you can't reconcile that. What do you mean God's nice? This is not a nice scenario. So the fourth step is that you have to have wise Christians around you that help you make sense of your world. Well, how does that work together? And and you go to someone that maybe knows the Lord a little bit more than you and you say, I'm falling apart here. I mean, I don't get it. How could God allow this? How could we have a world of suffering and yet God be nice? And they look at you and they said, "Hun, God is good. I wouldn't necessarily say that God is nice. And there's this clarity that comes into your heart and your mind and you go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I was looking at something wrong. I kept thinking that God only does things that make people comfortable. Oops, that's not actually accurate. Because as Christians, we don't put our brains away. We engage our brains fully as we are walking through this world. And we're trying to analyze, do I know God rightly. Hopefully we're doing that for each other, right? That's why Christianity is such a community driven faith. We need to bounce off each other. We need to equip one another to bring the wholeness of Jesus to a broken world. I mean, that is our mission statement here at Bridgeway. And so we know that as we get together, we can kind of sort out and know God more. Isn't that what we want? Well, As we know God and as we form our identities, the critical piece is obedience. Obedience is most important. Why? Because God's the one that gets to make the rules. God's the one that knows all the details. And we need to obey him in at least two ways. One is sometimes we just need to do what he says and stop looking for loopholes. You all know what I'm talking about? Stop being those rebellious little kids that are always trying to find a way to buck the system. In another way, we need to obey God by looking deeper for what he was always wanting in the first place, constantly reassessing how we view things and allowing him to bring fresh wine into new wineskins. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We need in some ways to keep checking back in with God and go, what, God, what are you doing in my life right now? What are you trying to walk me into that I've never seen before? What are you trying to reveal to me? And not just go off old information. Hmm. What, what does this have to do with, with what we're talking about? Well, let me give you one more analogy. The Pharisees failed in both. Y'all know who the Pharisees are? Now, if you've been in church, you, you know this. If you're, if you're new to church, let me bring you up to speed. When Jesus was born into this world as the son of God, he grew up in a very religious culture, Judaism. And... There were some big dogs in this culture that they knew all the rules and regulations. They knew how to do religion right. I mean, they were the ones that knew the hundreds and hundreds of codes. They knew all the things that God expected and didn't expect in his word. And they did it all to a T. I mean, from the outside, these guys were nails. And they had a lot of spiritual authority. They kind of ran the show. Well, Jesus didn't get along with them very well. Why? Because they weren't interested 
in obedience in the right way. Let me give an example. First of all, they failed in the area of simple obedience. God said, I want you to rest on the seventh day. I'm going to put it into your Ten Commandments. I want you to rest on the seventh day. And they would find all these loopholes to go around it. They were constantly trying to figure out how can I still work and make money while at the same time pretending like I'm not working. And then they would actually go, you know what? Uh, hey, if you hurt yourself, sorry, dude, I can't even help you. It's my day of rest. You know, I mean, they were they're making up all these weird loophole escapes and they weren't even doing what God asked them to do. They made it way more complicated to get away from what God wanted. But then they also failed to look deeper What do I mean? Jesus comes up and they go, you're not the Messiah. He's like, yeah, actually I am. No, you're not. Because from our point of view, you don't fit this, 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 or this. You're not doing things the way that we do them. And that's not the way that we were taught originally. And so we're blocking you. And they refuse to receive him. They refuse to believe that God was saying, all right, everyone, I am doing a new thing. All right. Is that happening in us? Are any of us falling into these same categories where we are refusing to just simply do what God asks us to do? You know what God's asking you to do. We're just simply not doing it. Or is he trying to do something new and we're not even looking at it? Hmm. The heart of my whole message is to fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. And it's going to sound a little mysterious until I explain it. Here's what it is. We must grow beyond what to why. We must grow beyond what to why. What do I mean? I mean, if we're going to talk about what you should do, Pharisees win, right? On the outside, they look better than everybody else. The what, the sin management, the morality, all that is nailed down. I mean, the what? They got it. If you, if you were going to talk about, hey, what do you do when you're a Christian? Oh, man, you pray. Well, they got that nailed down. They got their daily prayers. They got everything perfect. Hey, what else do you do? Well, we read the Bible. Yeah, I got the what thing down. I got the, I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing my devotionals. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to other people about things. They had the what nailed down. The problem was their why was broken. At some point, we have to mature beyond simply doing right things and figure out why we're doing them at all. Do you realize that there is a wrong motivation and a wrong reason to be going to church? That there's a wrong motivation and reason on why you're reading the Bible? That there's a wrong motivation? Do you understand these things can go askew? Here's what I mean. You go, how can it be wrong to read the Bible? I'm not saying it's wrong to read the Bible. I'm saying, why are you doing it? Let's say you're trying to read the Bible all the time so you can find a passage to control your family. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Wrong. It's not acceptable. Well, how can it be wrong to pray? If you think that God is a vending machine and all you want to do is just give him your list and he needs to kick down the candy bar, we've got a motivation problem, right? How could it be wrong to go to church? Well, maybe this is your culture. You grew up in church. You know how to work this system. So what you do is you always come in, and that way you can always be known. You always know how to work it and go through it, and this is where you can find your friends, but you have zero interest in Jesus. we got to get beyond the what and get into the why. Why are you here? Why do you have a relationship with God? 
And is it for the right reasons? The reason this is so important is that we're about to re-engage with Paul's letter to the Colossians. They're this young Christian church that had a bunch of spiritual religious leaders come in and tell them they were doing it all wrong and it freaked them out. And Paul's trying to get them back to the right motivations, to the simplicity of the gospel and say, don't let everybody else tie you up in more what? I just need you to focus on the why. All right, let's open up our Bibles. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. That would probably in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. Let's see, that's uh, page 983. 983, uh, 984. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Here's what Paul says. He said, therefore... What we talked about, about all the great things in Jesus and the freedom and the simplicity and the joy and the gladness because of all that. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. For these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let everyone else pass judgment on you. First of all, can you stop someone else from judging you? No, no, you can't do that. What does he mean? You can decide what sticks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because everybody's got an opinion, yeah? They're all going to have an opinion about your faith. They're all going to have an opinion about what you do and how you live. And they're all going to have an opinion. Everybody's got one and they all want to share it. And they're going to talk about where you're out of line. Okay. Some of those people need to be listened to. And some of those people do not. We cannot stop them from sharing their opinions on us, but we can decide which ones root in. And we make a part of our identity. He said, do not let no one pass judgment on you in these areas. Why these areas? Because these are the ones where they were getting attacked. In questions of food or drink. Anybody wrestling with this right now? Are people coming up to you going, really, Dr. Pepper, really? (laughs) Nobody does that. That's stupid. So what do you mean in questions of food or drink? Well, obviously we're talking about ancient Judaism. We're talking about kosher laws. Yeah, we're talking about what is unclean and clean. You can eat this. You can't eat that, that kind of stuff. I mean, for thousands of years, they were heavily baked into that idea that there are some things you can eat and some things that you cannot eat. And he said, we let that stuff go when we died with Christ. That's no longer a part of our lives. So we're not getting back into legalism. Wow. Legalism, what is this term? It is the idea that we're allowing religion to press us into a system and take us away from relationship. Legalism is all about managing the what with very little concern for the why. I don't like legalism. I feel like it dries up and kills the spirit. I don't like the idea that we all spend our time being moral police on everybody else and all we do is look at their behaviors and not look at the root that's going on within. It seems like a waste of time to me. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon. What does that mean? Well, the Jewish calendar is based on a lunar calendar, that is the moon, so they would do a lot of different festivals and special days 
based on their calendar. He said, stop letting the calendar drive why you do what you do. Do you own it? Do you believe it? Is that really what you want to do? Is your heart in it? Stop allowing people to go, you know, if you don't do this festival, you're not righteous. Your, your salvation is not in a festival. Your salvation is not in a ritual. Your salvation is in a relationship. Huh. But then he drops this bomb. Don't let anyone judge you about a Sabbath. Well, you might as well just kick somebody in the face. You don't mess with a Jewish person's Sabbath. They know Sabbath. I mean... God drilled it into their minds that Sabbath is important. Like I said, there's only ten commandments and one of them was about Sabbath. So Sabbath is important. And so these leaders were coming in and going, hey, all you little Christians, oh yeah, freedom in Jesus. Anyway, so here's the deal. If you want to look in your Bibles, maybe you'll notice that God said, you always obey the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. Right here, it says, if you don't obey the Sabbath, there's curses for you and this, and they go through. So you have your little Jesus, also need to do the sabbath if you want to be holy well that rattled all these young people's cages they're like oh man is god mad at me am i doing something wrong what's going on and jesus said hold up when i came in do you realize all the sabbath stuff was talking about rest and when i came in i brought an eternal rest do you understand that when i died on the cross and you died with me we're no longer under the one day i now own all seven days as a matter of fact, in order to show you the power of breaking out of that, I'm going to rise from the dead on Sunday and I'm going to rework your whole world because they're all my days. You don't just serve and rest. I'll tell you what, I did it. And when I paid for it, I said, it is finished. That means it is finished. You're not working any day. You're in eternal rest with me. Amen. So he's pushing back. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Why? These are a shadow of the things to come, verse 17, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let me give you a dumb analogy. How do I know it's dumb? I made it up. Here we go. We're walking along, right? And y'all got a picture of this with me. I'm walking along a wall and I'm going to go up and I'm going to turn left around the corner. The sun is to my back, so my shadow's out in front of me. So as I'm walking forward, I happen to be using a Walkman. Anybody remember what a Walkman is? All right, fantastic. I have my cassette tape, right? I have it in there, my little headphones on. And if you've ever seen Guardians of the Galaxy, you know what I'm talking about. All right, anyway. Uh, so I have my little headphones on and I'm dancing. How, how do we know it's me? Because it's terrible dancing. Anyway, it's not important. So as I'm walking up, someone is around the corner and they see my shadow come before me. And they can tell certain things about me. They go, well, first of all, this thing happens to have two arms and it has two legs it's moving around and dancing poorly it is seems a relatively tall person seems to be a dude so you can find out a couple things from me and then i turn the corner and i meet them at that point they should stop looking at my shadow why because that told you some things about me but left an awful lot of assumption and now you have me and now you know fully who i am Jesus said, can I just remind you that everything I did in the Old Testament, I was doing to give you an idea of me. And I was prepping and prepping and prepping and prepping. And now, ta-da, I'm here. 
We don't need to look at all that because it all is a suggestion of the real deal. I'm right here in front of you. So all of it pointed to me. I'm the one you need to be looking at. Moves forward. He said, in the same way, kids, verse 17, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That's a tough word. Insisting on asceticism. What is asceticism? An ascetic, I want you to picture what what it would be like to be an extreme monk. Right? Where you cloister yourself away and you're in these high mountains and you have a, a vow of silence. You're in total solitude. You're fasting most meals throughout the week. You're living off bare substance. You're praying continually. You're doing all your studies. You're denying yourself constantly. Perhaps even in the most extreme examples, you're whipping your body into submission. That's asceticism. Why would people want to suggest that? Because in their opinion, that was the way to become more righteous and holy. He said, we're not doing that. You go, but, but wait, hold on, Pastor Lance. You are a big proponent of the spiritual disciplines. I mean, you've taught messages on it, taught series on it. And I would tell you, absolutely. What are spiritual disciplines? Well, they look almost identical. They are silence and solitude and fasting and chastity, right? And what it means is those are things that you try to walk like Jesus did. Jesus put in disciplines in his life. So for example, it was a busy ministry. It was crazy. And so he would set aside times to withdraw from everybody and just go listen to the father. But he needed it to be quiet so he could hear his voice. He would practice things like secrecy. He would practice things like chastity. He would practice things like fasting. And you go, okay, so I'm, I'm missing it here. So pastor, what are you saying? You're saying don't do these things, but you need to do these things. What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. The what looks the same. The why is completely different. If you're only looking at the what, you don't see the difference between religion and relationship until you get to the why. The why behind asceticism says, I need to become more holy. The why behind spiritual discipline says, my Jesus paid it all and I want to be quieter to know him. You understand the difference? Looks the same, totally different motivation. All right. He said, let no one disqualify you, insisting on trying to make themselves more righteous. Let no one disqualify you with telling you to worship angels. Now, is anybody currently struggling with that? Worship of angels? Anybody? Got your little angel statue, stuff like that? No, probably not. All right. Well, back then, that was a thing. And I will suggest to you that it is tempting. Uh, John the Revelator actually struggled with this. Why? Have you ever seen an angel, like in person? Maybe some of you have. I'll tell you what you're going to do if you see an angel. You're going to fall down. How do I know that? Well, because when they're in all their glory, John, who was the best friend of Jesus, who knows Jesus really, really well, saw one. What happened? He fell over and he fell down and started worshiping the angel. Do you remember this in the book of Revelation? And the angel said, oh, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. No, no, we're not doing that. You and I, same team, right, pal? Uh, you're created. I'm created. We only worship God. Only God is worthy of worship and honor and glory. So you do not worship me. That's a no, no, right? So he blocks it. Why did 
John want to worship him? Because he was glorious and amazing. So I get the attraction. He said, but we're not doing that. And you go, what does that have to do with us? Well, let me ask you this. What does angel really mean in Greek? Messenger. So let's play this game. Who are you worshiping between you and God? Here's what I mean. It could be everything from religiously. Let's say that you have an intermediary. You don't believe you can go to God straight. So you spend all your time focusing on what? Your priest? Mary? Anybody else, right? Anybody but our God. Well, I can't go direct, so I need to be able to pray to and minister to and talk to and and worship an intermediary. Do you? I don't think so. Here's why. When Jesus Christ died, do you remember that the curtain that separated man and God was torn in two from the top to the bottom? That means God ripped it. And God said, now we go direct. You talk to me. You're my children. You don't need an intermediary. You just talk with me. And you go, okay, well, I'm not in any of those religious strains, so I don't even have that problem. You might still have that problem. Why? Because there's tons of messengers around and you may be more impressed with them than God. What do I mean? It's probably the person on the radio for you. It's probably the person on the TV for you. It's probably the person who writes your books that you keep reading more than you read the Bible because they're easier to understand. So what you end up doing is letting them completely disciple you and they're simply chewing up God's food for you. Are you worshiping anybody other than the Lord? Is it me? Because if it's me, it's wrong. Why? Because here's the thing. I'm an intermediary. I'm trying to grab what God says. I'm trying to digest it and help you out. Well, that's helpful, but all your praise has to go right past my head and go right back to the source. So the whole point is, who are you worshiping short of Jesus Christ? If there is a system, if there is a politic, if there is something that has consumed your world and you're worshiping more than Jesus Christ himself, it's got to go. That makes sense. He said, don't let anyone disqualify you insisting on asceticism, trying to be more holy, the worship of angels, worshiping something short of God and Folks going on in detail about visions. Okay, I need to be very clear with you. Y'all, I am I'm all in Holy Spirit. Yeah, right on. I've already told you Holy Spirit is the primary member of the Godhead dealing with the church today. I'm very interested in making sure that we are balanced as a church in the supernatural, and I talk about all that stuff. So I'm very, very much for that. But I'm also very clear that if we do a bunch of stuff unanchored, to the word of God. If we do things unanchored to Jesus Christ and we just start going off into simply wild experiences without Jesus, we're going to end up in some really, really messed up places. And so that's what it says. People going on in detail about visions. Trust me, you can have visions. I don't really have any visions. Do you realize there's things you can ingest to have visions? Right? Or do I need to have the 1982 ABC special talk with you on drugs? Right? Do we need to talk about that? You can get visions. Right? As a matter of fact, there's certain pizza you can eat and still get visions that night. You know what I'm talking about? 
So you can always have visions. What makes the vision right? Is it, is it founded in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it God communicating to you? These are things that it says we test all spirits. We sort it out. We look also at the word of God and see if there's contradictions. We're, we're allowing God to speak to us, but we're making sure it's God. You all know what I'm talking about. But if people are simply unhooked from all of that and they're just going off into weird, bizarre experience that has no relation to the Lord, that's where you go. I'm not doing that. You don't get to direct my life. Jesus directs my life. He said this last one, you're going to look at it and go, oh, that's weird. And don't let people disqualify you who are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. I think this is the biggest problem in America right now when it comes to Christianity. Why? Because everybody in their own head is trying to rework and rewrite the Bible. What do I mean? Uh, you know, now that I'm looking at it, I don't think hell's a thing. Oh, really? Well, what if it says in the Bible, yeah, maybe that's wrong. So we're throwing hell out. We're going somewhere else. What do you mean you're throwing hell out? I'm pretty sure, and as far as I can tell, now there's arguments for both sides, but as far as I can tell, hell's legit in Scripture. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I think about it. It doesn't really matter how much I reason it. It's just there. So, I, and, and I've always admitted to you, I don't like the doctrine of hell. It doesn't even make sense to me. I don't even get it. But that doesn't mean that just because I don't like it and it doesn't work for me, doesn't mean I get to rewrite the Bible and throw it out. And so what we tend to do in America is think we're smarter than the Bible. Oh, well, you know what? I've gone to college. Oh, (laughs) you went to college, did you? Okay. Well, what do you think? Okay. And then we start going that one. Nope. That's not a sin. That one. Nope. That's not a sin. That one right there. Don't tell me what to do. That one right there. You see what I'm saying? And so in America, we have this whole idea of we're just going to rewrite it based on our reasoning. Well, the way I'm thinking about it, it should go like this, but it doesn't go like that. Why? Because we don't have all the facts. There's stuff we don't know. God knows. He said, the problem with all these is they're not holding fast to the head who's Jesus. He's the head of the church. He says what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We've got to be locked to him. But I think one of the most powerful things in that passage is the phrase, let no one disqualify you. Disqualify you from what? Salvation? No, no. Jesus saved you. They don't get to steal your salvation. You understand what I'm saying? That's not what we're talking about. Then disqualified from what? Blessings. Blessings. Jesus has all these blessings for us and people keep ripping us off. Let me give you an example. Jesus said in The word of God, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then someone else comes up and starts giving you their opinion. And by the end of the day, you're exhausted. Where's the simplicity of Jesus Christ? Where is the simplicity of the gospel? We keep listening to so many opinions. If you read this book, it's about prayer. You got to do prayer more. And then if you read this book, it's more. No, you got to do all this. And if you read this book, if you really want to be loved by God, you got to do this. And if you want to do this, and it goes on and on and on. And everybody's got the opinions. And every time they keep adding to what God said. And little by little, you're putting these bricks in your pack on your back and then it weighs so heavy and you find yourself bent over trying to move forward in Christianity and you finally want to give up and say, I don't want to do Christianity anymore. I would suggest to you, you're not doing Christianity right now. 
You let man put all this stuff in your pack that Jesus never said. And it feels like we have to kind of do this recheck about every three to six months, right? We go up to the Lord and we're like, Lord, I'm exhausted. And he goes, what are you carrying? Well, I'm carrying this backpack. Who gave you the backpack? Well, I thought you did. I did not. Oh, well, can you cut it off? Yeah, absolutely. He cuts it off. All this fresh air, our shoulders go back. We hold our head up high and we walk out free. And then someone says, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I just got freed by Jesus. Oh, you know that's not how it works, right? And they hand you a brick. Put it back in and keep walking. Okay, let no one disqualify you. Let no one wreck your joy. Let no one wreck your freedom. Let no one wreck your Jesus. Because of all their opinions. If it comes from the Lord's mouth, great. I'm not saying that we don't need to be convicted and bring about change and be transformed. I'm not telling you any of that. I'm saying that Christianity is not simply sin management. I think that Christianity is from an inside-out transformation. I'll talk about that in one second. It says that Jesus Christ is the head from whom the whole body, that's all of us, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We're supposed to be doing this together. And then Paul closes with this. He said, guys, let me give you two practical reasons why I don't think you should be worried about all this stuff. He said, here we go. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to all the rules and regulations? Don't handle this, don't taste this, don't touch this. Referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They look good in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What did he just say? He said two things you need to realize why we don't need to be worried about that. Number one, you're dead. How much should dead guys have to worry about rules? Not a lot. And they don't have to worry about him if it's a dead code. The Bible says that Jesus nailed him to the cross. So in other words, why are we worried about a system, a code of religion, when that's not what saved us in the first place? As a matter of fact, we died with Jesus. When we died with Jesus, we were completely dead in our trespasses and sins. He brought us back up into a whole new quality of life as children of God. If we're children of God, then we don't stop being children of God and we walk in a newness of life. If that is the case, if we have already died to all that, why are we still going back and assuming that if we do the right things, God will love us more? Why do we keep trying to do the right things thinking that's going to make us righteous? Why do we keep going back and trying to do the right things to earn our way to heaven? That's not how it works. So let it go. Besides, practical point number two, it's not working anyway. Because you're so focused on the what and not addressing the why, you're not making any real change. You keep changing everything on the outside. Great, so you shifted from this addiction to that addiction. Fantastic. 
Great. So you move this over here to this. So you went from being an absolute psychotic sinner to a smug, self-righteous person. (laughs) Woo. We're making progress. You understand what I'm saying? Like if we're always focused on all the stuff on the outside, well, I can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. Why can't we go back and go, why do you want to do that in the first place? What's going on? How come your relationship with Jesus allows that? Why is that a thing for you? Imagine that I had a a tall glass that would normally hold water, but I let, when my little ones were young, I let them go make mud pies out back with it. And so they scooped up the mud pie and, and then they wanted me to wash the glass. How would I wash the glass? Would I simply just hold it upside down and shake it ferociously? Because that's going to get it all out, right? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, you'll get one big glob out, right? But how do I clean the glass? I fill it with fresh water and I force out the yuck. Would you agree? Turn on the faucet and it starts filling it and it starts pushing all of the yuck out. And all that is caked on there, some of it just needs to soak, but it needs to soak in clean water and then it loosens up. Then when you turn on the faucet again, it flows out and it's easily poured. What's the point? inside out transformation as opposed to trying to merely change our behavior we need to change the root if the root's wrong the fruit will never be right and we are to go to the lord and say lord what do you want to make in me and why am i wrestling with what i'm wrestling with why is that a thing for me why does sin have so much allure to me Why do I always feel condemned about this? Why am I always wrestling with this? Why is this a problem? When we start moving beyond the what and start getting into the why, now we're getting somewhere. Hmm. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? How do you change a distorted heart? You invite the expert to come in who's the Holy Spirit, and say, what do you want to do? Remember, Christianity is so much more about us releasing and becoming who Jesus made us to be and letting Him do His work in us. There's a lot of voices coming at you, yeah? Got a lot of opinions. You got your own fleshly opinions. You got God talking to you. You got... The world talking to you, you got the devil messing with you, right? You got all these voices. The more you know God, the more you're going to start being able to sift the voices. That one's God. That one, that ain't God. That one, that's just me messing with me. And once you can hear the voice of God, here's the question I have for you. What does he want to do with you? Not what does everyone else want you to do right now? What does he want you to do? Because he's the most important voice that you need to be listening to. So if any of you know God and you feel like you can hear him and you feel like you know what he wants, this is your question today. What's God want you to do? What is he making in you? 
And how do we get out of his way and let him do his job, right? So as we close out, the altar is open. The prayer team is here to pray blessing over you, pray pray breakthrough in your life. Um, And there's a couple groups that I would love to invite up. You're always free to come up for any reason. But maybe today some of you have have been in the atmosphere of religion so much that you're exhausted. And you need that pack cut off your back fresh so you can walk out of here with a light heart. Maybe you've been around so much legalism, 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 that you just go, I can't even see God anymore. Maybe that's you. Maybe you just need to go up to the prayer team and go, I am so heavy with rules and regulations, I can't see Jesus anymore. Would you pray freedom over me? And also, maybe that there's a group here where it seems like you have an awful lot of relationships hijacking you. And you just need to pray through that. Jesus, I don't know what's going on here, but this relationship is not healthy for me. And I don't know where to go with it. God, do your work. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Let me pray a blessing over all of you and we'll take off. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of glory alone. That Jesus, you are our King and our Savior. And Holy Spirit, you are the Mighty One. The One that leads us into all truth. The One that helps us discern your voice. We pray right now in this beautifully rich environment that you, Holy Spirit, would walk this campus and set people free from legalism and religiosity. Father, all the packs that we are carrying that you never asked us to carry, would you cut them off our shoulders in Jesus' name? Would you do that same work with our little ones in the back, with the little babies, with the youth, with the kids? That, Father, that you would not allow us to put stuff into their pack for no reason. That, God, that you would even help us as parents to know what we should put upon their shoulders and what we should not. And, God, I pray that from the inside out, would you fill us up to such a degree with pure, clean water that it begins to force out that which is not right. For God, I know you want us to be clean. I know that you've died to make it so. And so we pray, Lord, have your way. You know the right way. So we surrender to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.